Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Thank you for seeing me on such short notice, Doctor. Uh, I didn't agree. This is my house. You just showed up. It's 3 a.m. Who are you? Someone with a problem. I've been binge-watching TV, Doctor. It got real, real bad. Uh, okay. How bad? It went on for two weeks. No sleep. I stopped even using the bathroom. I would just fill my pants. Whatever. I had blackouts. At one point, I remember punching and kicking a black bear on the sidewalk outside my house. Maybe maybe you were defending yourself. Well, they told me later it was actually a kid on a bike. It looked like a bear. Binge-watching television should not create that array of symptoms. Are you sure there isn't another factor? I was watching the whole series Bonanza. Lauren Green, Michael Landon. It ran from 1959 to 1973. 431 episodes. It took 12 days. I drank two cases of whiskey during that time. That's a lot of whiskey. Yet the show's not that interesting. You've been binge drinking. That's why you're pooping your pants and hallucinating. It has nothing to do with television. It has everything to do with television, Doctor. Have you ever seen this show? It's about Ben Cartwright. He has three sons, and each time the mother dies. He's killing these women, and I I had to see him brought to justice. And was he? I don't know. At the end, two purple giraffes showed up and took my TV away. Today on The Nose, binge-watching, The Girlfriend Experience, and Destination Actors. And now, the fourth Mrs. Ben Cartwright, Colin McEnroe. This time it's going to work. This time... I'm not going to die. Anyway, it hasn't been in the papers yet anyway. We shouldn't have mentioned it on the air. We are going to talk a little bit about binge-watching today. I'll tell you who's on the nose. Welcome to the nose, our weekly culture roundtable. Rich Holland is principal uh, and design director at CoLab. Jacques Lamar is for about four hours uh, remaining a director of communications and special programming uh, at the Mark Twain House, and then he's going to work with some kind of of place with buzz in the name. Uh, Irene (laughs) Papoulis is a lecturer at the Alan K. Smith Center for Writing and rhetoric at Trinity College. Uh, And we're going to begin today with a show called The Girlfriend Experience. We'll tell you about that in a second. Uh, Then Clive James's uh, fascinating essay about binge-watching TV uh, and about serial entertainment and about doing it uh, when there's, you know, I mean, we're all dying, but he's like really dying. So it's one of the Basic existential questions is how, how much TV should you actually watch if your time on Earth is limited? Uh, and then uh, towards the end, uh, after our little fundraising break, we're going to talk about uh, destination actors, actors that we sort of all each, – each of us uh, feel is – they're necessary to see in everything. Um, and we'll also, of course, do make some recommendations. So bef- uh, we're going to begin with um, this show, The Girlfriend Experience. It just uh, dropped uh, this week and it's um, being done by Stars, which is a competitor to – HBO and Showtime, but one that really hasn't come up with comparable hits, except maybe Outlander. Um, It comes in with a medium-impressive pedigree. It's a Steven Soderbergh project based on one of his prior movies of the same name. It's written uh, and directed by two indie filmmakers who, according to the uh, somewhat questionable Richard Brody of The New Yorker, have done lots of impressive little projects that make Richard Brody anyway feel okay about watching something that might otherwise be softcore porn. Uh, The uh, the star is Elvis's grand 
granddaughter, uh, Riley Keough, Keough, I don't know how to say her name, in the starring role. And then the always interesting uh, Mary Lynn Ricegub and Paul Sparks, who is so fabulous in Boardwalk Empire and currently in House of Cards, both play lawyers. Um, Willa Paskin of Slate has written, the show is provocative sexually and mentally. It's alluring and sordid, arousing and disturbing, a unique viewing experience. Let's begin before we start talking uh, with a clip. Uh, this is um, uh, we'll, we'll just play the first clip here. This is Christine, who is the this is Elvis's granddaughter. Uh, who she's so much more than that. Uh, she is the protagonist of the series. She's a lawyer uh, to, in waiting, a law student uh, who has a prestigious inter- internship at a law firm. But she also dis- discovers she can make a lot more money right now uh, as a high end sex worker. Right, let's hear. Are that. you seeing anyone else like outside of work, like a real boyfriend? No. I've actually never really had a real boyfriend. Why not? Well, I don't know. I guess as soon as I sort of realized there was such a thing as me and other people, I kind of... I guess I just... I don't have the same, you know, reactions to things or feelings about the way things are supposed to be. Does that make any sense at all? It makes total sense. You're like a female Ted Bundy. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, I should have made something up. Yeah, like always. Really? Do I make you feel like I lie to you? I'm with you. Hold on. Better yet, I'm you. It's a whole lot more fun. Yes? All right, so she's talking to one of her clients there, um, and she one of the things that she says uh, is that she has a whole hard time with. I don't know if, it's, if I quite heard it in the clip, but I know that it's in there. She says basically, there's she has a hard time just spending time with people if there's nothing to be gained out of it. If there's no uh, attainment uh, that can be reached there. So um, I, I should say that uh, our panel, although good natured, is technically a little incompetent. Uh, so Jacques <laughs> was not even able to make the codes work or anything like that. Uh, and uh, Irene managed to watch the fifth episode first, uh, and then the first episode. Uh, Rich, you and I went deeper. Rich, you went all the way deep, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Would you like to describe what happened to you? Well, it was, or it, we can wait to the binge watching section, and you can describe it then. It's it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. It's uh, I kind of bottomed out on this thing, and um, it, I think I learned something about myself, mm-hmm. and uh, and it explains why I stay away from uh, from anything addictive, because uh, I will go all in. Um, this, uh, do you think this, you would have? Would you have watched it if you weren't watching it for the show? Would you? You know. I think I would have I would have made it all the way through. I just wanted to get to that point where um, where the character evolved and uh, and the dynamic tensions actually uh, created a you know a convincing change in who she is um, and uh, and I just kept waiting and waiting and waiting for that to happen. So um, so that bait is enough to keep me hooked on a story. Um, it didn't happen. Oh yeah, I was gonna <laughs> no. say. I didn't expect no, it would. The, that's the unfortunate. Yeah. It, it it happened in the liner notes, um, but uh, you know, so in the descriptors of the episode, uh, the 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 change um, was pretty explicit. Uh, but uh, I didn't quite see it in the in the performance. I didn't see it in uh, in the delivery. Um, uh, nothing about the cinematography certainly didn't change. The locations didn't change. Um, 
It was like watching sexy paint dry. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. It's like watching taupe dry. <laughs> There's a lot of taupe. There's a lot of earth tones and uh, the look of this thing. So, Irene, uh, let me just uh, cite another um, paragraph from Willa Paskin's terrific piece about this. Uh, because she's, one of the things she asks about is um, our own judgments about the premise. Uh, she writes, Christine's life becomes complicated and disrupted by exactly the kind of judgment that the show simultaneously foments and dissipates in its audience. There's nothing wrong with a woman doing exactly what she wants with her body, except almost everyone in Christine's life does not feel this way. So even in the amount that you watched, I mean, this may be clear. She's made this particular choice, uh, and we can talk about the underpinnings of this choice, but but it's there all the time. You know, the question of does is this okay for her to do? Um, and, you know, well, anyway, I'll just let you react. Yeah, is this okay for her to do, and is this okay for us to watch? You know, because I think, you know, I, I don't don't know. So you want to talk about the character. I'm, I also want to talk about the, the experience of watching it and the mm-hmm. subject. You know, like we just love, you know, ever since Fifty Shades of Grey, you know, there was some there was some kind of sort of sanctioning of, um, you know, uh, what's the word? Um, Porn. P- <laughs> yeah. OK. Yeah. <laughs> Porn. The kind, I was going to say like some kind of sexuality that's like that's, you know, transgressive, the, uh, sexuality. transgressive. That's the word. Yes. Thank you. Transgressive sexuality. And it's sort of like it's kind of first of all, I, I when I heard what the show was about, you know, like a young woman who becomes a sex worker while she's also in law school. Um, I sort of felt like, oh, come on, you know, like there's such a glorification of that, you know, like the reality of that and the fantasy of that in these shows is just are just so far apart. And it's just I don't want to have anything to do with watching it, you know, uh, in a way. Um, but I'm also curious, you know, and there's there's some kind of, you know, I can't help but be, a, you know, sort of curious to see what they do with it. But I'm simultaneously as I'm watching it saying like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, what are they doing? And so then I want, so then I get to the character, like, are they doing something interesting with the character at least? Um, and so, yeah, I haven't gotten to to the end. I haven't gotten much, you know, I, even that scene, that the clip that we just heard, mm-hmm. I thought was really interesting because she's sort of, I think, supposed to be, or at least it seemed to me, watching that scene in an early episode that maybe in the first episode, that she wants to say something real about herself because then she sort of catches herself and she said, oh, I should have made something up. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's something that she wants to say about fear of, you know, real intimacy or normal intimacy or whatever. Um, but the guy doesn't really, of course, you know, and so there's some desire is thinking on the, on the part of the men to be seen, but there's also a, uh, some desire in her to be seen, even though when she's with these men, she's completely playing a role. So I'm, I'm interested in that. Um, I have lots of questions to ask about this, but I don't know what question to ask you, you Jacques, because you haven't seen it. But um, well, I, I would wonder if she has the emotional resonance of her grandfather in Harem Scarum. All right, there you go. There you go. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I don't see a lot of Elvis. Of course, Elvis famously... Uh, although I don't think he ever really had to pay for these kinds of things, mm-hmm. did want very specific kinds of experiences, including, according to the Albert Goldman uh, biography, he wanted teenage girls to wrestle in their panties in front of him. So um, Elvis himself was not <laughs> uh, he did, was not flying high above this whole world. So, Rich, I want to just come back to you. I mean, uh, so, Rich, as you watched this, you were looking for character development or some kind of um, characterolog- characterological pivot here on this show that you didn't find. And I, I, found, this, I found this series— and I'm maybe about seven episodes in now, okay. to be 
differently constructed anyway. First of all, one of the things that happens, and this has been noted by the dubious uh, Richard Brody, but I mean he's actually right about this, uh, that they – the show has an unusual pace. They start scenes and then it's like Tinder. They just swipe and the scene goes away. And there's another scene. And then they swipe and the scene goes away. So scenes are what should be a scene that resolves over the course of maybe three, three and a half minutes. Last 45 seconds to 90 seconds, it kind of starts up. Swipe goes away. And, I mean, that's intentional, right? That's a stylistic choice that they're making. What they're really, to me, showing is this almost kaleidoscope with people with all kinds of needs that they're trying to work out almost invariably transactionally. Um, and and, and the, in some ways, they're, this style in which they're really not developing a long plot line with a pivot somewhere, it's, it's something else, right? It, it's – yeah, it's something else. Um, and uh, it, what it feels like is a bunch of collisions that happen. Um, but those collisions, um, since there's not enough velocity to the arcs of these stories, are fairly minor collisions. Um, the one of the worst moments uh, that this 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 woman had on the job um, uh, was when she had to actually sit on a couch and do nothing. Um, uh, this guy that was you know completely strung out on something that I'm not clear about. Um, uh, gave her an extra grand uh, to just stay on the couch while he slept in the other room with somebody else. And, um, and the, the lack of, of ability to do what she wanted at the time um, made her really sort of irritable. And then it was over. So, so, you didn't, so, so you does didn't she wrestle with? <laughs> does she wrestle with her choices at all, or is that part of the point? She does not appear to no, be wrestling with her choices at all. at all. Other people want to wrestle for her, but yeah. she is not really wrestling. So, well. how is that interesting over thirteen episodes? But I got to tell you, but the thing about that also, dude, Jack, is um, other people want to want her to wrestle with it, but you have yeah. to take a look at the context, right? So, you know, this one guy that uh, that became obsessed with her and she stopped wanting to see distributed uh, some... Um, oh, no, that's a spoiler. You can't, that's you can't, a, you can't, oh, say that's, that. you can't tell happen. people that. You can't well, tell people that. Well, anyway, all right. <laughs> well, let me just say something about this, and let me, t- tell, me tell, you, tell you where I think this series goes for me. First of all, it does take place against the backdrop, some of it anyway, against the backdrop of a very pricey law firm and against the backdrop of a very specific patent case, a long-term piece of patent litigation that's unfolding. And so, Which is in and of itself sexy. Well, I mean, it's not the first time that, that high-priced law Lawyers have been compared to horse, right? I mean, that happens all the time. Yeah. And one of my questions was, are they saying anything more interesting about this? I mean, what's interesting about or what's similar about each transaction is she's getting, you know, a thousand, two thousand bucks a session uh, minimum. You know, they get about a thousand bucks an hour minimum. And, and I, I, I found myself, if the series does something really interesting, uh, or at least if it has done anything interesting for me, I mean, it, it did, and I think it was specifically in episode four, I started to feel that. When you start seeing all this stuff that's transactional, and some of it's quite emotive, too. There's one character who cathects in a, emotionally with her in a very artificial way, uh, and then he can't afford her anymore, and he has to ask her oh, if yeah, she'll lower that. her. You saw that. Yeah. Uh, well, you start wondering, you start thinking about how much of life is transactional. You know, I mean, obviously, if you're paying for somebody's companionship or sex, you know that's transactional. If you hire a lawyer, to fight your fight for you. You know that's transactional. Tra- th- so when you use the word transactional, you mean you get the thing from, from somebody else or in the... in the Oh, you mean financial? Well, there's somebody's paying? Well, that's a tra- is that what you mean by transactional? Well, it, that's what I mean in those two contexts. Yeah. You pay for something, you get it. That's a transaction, right? Yeah. But I, I think the, the series invites us to ask, 
how much of life is transactional? How many things that you do over the course of a given day are you doing because you expect to get something back or you're trying to preserve some kind of important relationship from which you derive benefits? How many things do we do that are, are excluded from the broadest definition of transactional? Um, and I think that's a really interesting question that I think the series does manage to ask. Well, how in about a lot of intimacy? You know, would you call intimacy transactional because you get something? You, you get, you know, a warm, good feeling from being with someone. Is that, is that, tra- would you call that transactional? Well, that's a very, I mean, it's like one of the fundamental human questions, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think there's a transactional element in some, well, you're, if not most. Intimacy. If that's the case, then, then, I mean, are, do you mean social? You know, like, because transactional has negative connotations, right? In, in some way. Like, what, what is, for you? you? Know? For, okay, for no, me. But I, for you. Yeah, okay, go but ahead. I, well, it, it sounds sounds to me that what the series is doing, you know, based on my watching the one minute trailer, uh, is or what Colin's saying is that that there is money for for some, you know, that purchases some advantage for you, mm-hmm. and so you know, whereas if it's like you know, loving someone or wanting to be intimate or whatever isn't necessarily transactional. Right, but Colin just said it was. Well, I, I, there, there I can be a tiny asking. element. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me just take you grab a quick break here. Because of fundraising, I've got oh. a different clock. We'll come back. We can talk a little bit more about this. Love for sale. Appetizing. All right, we're back. Uh, joining us in studio, Jacques Lamar, Rich Holland, and Irene Papoulis uh, for the news. Uh, we've been talking a little bit about the Girlfriend Experience, a new series that's dropping on Stars, has dropped on Stars, and uh, unlike a lot of uh, cable TV series, they put all the episodes out there at once, kind of the way they do on uh, Netflix or, or or Amazon. Not incidentally, by the way, Stars is rebranding right now. Uh, like right now, they've introduced a new logo and a tagline obsessible. Um, and they're revamping on their channels and stuff like that. So I think this is uh, their effort with the girlfriend experience to really put themselves on the map. So back to that question about transact- transactionality, about sort of how much um, uh, of the show uh, and how much of life is transactional. So Rich, one thing you and I wind up emailing back and forth about, I, I, I could be that I'm the guy who just sees politics everywhere, particularly now. But at a certain point, I thought, well, who's Whose world am I watching on this show? And I thought, well, in a lot of ways, I'm watching Donald Trump's world. Right? I mean, explicitly Donald Trump's world. I mean, this is very much a, a, about having enough money to get what you want, including the sex that you want. Um, I, I was reminded of an interview that was done with a, a, a gay man who's uh, one of Donald Trump's closer friends. He both worked for – his name is Abe Wallace. He worked for and socialized with Trump. And he said, Donald is actually the most insecure man I've ever met. He has this constant need to fill a void inside. He used to do it with deals and sex. Now he does it with publicity. Um, so I, I feel like I'm watching that world. That Everything's a deal. Everything's a transaction. You make a lot of money. You get what you want, including trophy sex with you know, super attractive women. Well, that's both the world of this series. It's the world of Trump. But then – 
possibly uh, going a little bit further, I thought it's also a little bit of the Hillary Clinton's world. It's the world that victimized her. Her husband traded power for sex, sometimes with younger women. Uh, one of the directors uh, and creators of the show specifically said that they thought a lot about Monica Lewinsky when making this series and wished that Monica had been more like Christine slash Chelsea, you know, more in control of what she traded her body for and then what happened to her afterwards. So... Um, and then it's also what we worry that Hillary Clinton is turning, has turned into. She was a very idealistic young woman. You know, the, the fear about her now among her detractors is that she's also become very transactional. Well, that's, that, that ends up being her fundamental message, isn't it? That, um, that we could have uh, whatever ideals that, uh, that we have, but at the end of the day, it's what's happening in the back room. It's that, you know, it's, it's the deal. It's the, it's the quid pro quo um, that actually... Uh, ostensibly moves things forward, but I don't think that it actually moves um, – it's intended to move the big ideal forward. What it's intended to move forward is a sense of satisfaction that, uh, that the day goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm taking a look even at, at how we're consuming uh, Hillary Clinton. And you know, to, to a certain extent, I'm going to throw Bernie under the bus on this one too, how we're consuming uh, Bernie Sanders as well. Um, uh, recently, uh, interestingly, uh, if we back up that I spent six and a half hours watching Girlfriend <laughs> Experience, right? I also spent six and a half hours because of the bickering between these two people um, doing some deep research into um, congressional records uh, to figure out what actually did these, uh, did these folks sponsor. Uh, each of these candidates sponsor and what actually made any traction, you know, what got vetoed. And they each just for all of the talk, for all of the stuff that were being seduced to to believe or to take sides, um, they both in terms of actual legislation that that senators are there to to move forward, moved just about nothing forward that they sponsored. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and yet, his thing is supposed to be amendments. Right, yeah. as opposed to legislation sponsored. Yeah. And so uh, apparently if you look at his re- record of amendments. That's what he was pushing forward, right? Yeah. yeah, that he was actually highly successful. I think I saw three in the record. <laughs> you well, were looking in the wrong place. <laughs> so anyway, so you, you, you tried to have a girlfriend experience with Bernie Sanders. And, <laughs> I did. Yeah. I mean, Irene, what do you, what, uh, of, of this perhaps forced political gloss I, I was putting on this series, um, I, I know you're heavily involved in politics. You're very interested in the fact that yeah. Trump's in town tonight. Uh, what do you take back from that? Well, um, I guess the the way in which the show is uh, somehow a reflection of the Trump world is is in that vision that nobody it's sort of like there's no like where's the humanity in the show like even in the characters so I would ask you Rich since you mm-hmm. having watched it I mean is because I feel like all right if she really does she have an inner life at all that we that we in any way know about because no. I feel like if she that, wants that was, to have does she love the money you know like I, no. I feel like I would want to see a scene where she's like oh my god I have all this money now I'm going to buy this or that or whatever she's why no. does she want the money why does she want that kind of sex you know like do we ever know no um, yeah. If anything, that's that's one of the things that's completely glossed over in the series is it's all of how she she lives. I mean, there are a couple of little uh, snippets, again, 20 second, 30 second snippets that are shown of her, you know, her dealing with her menstruation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so you get little glimpses of her being, you know, a, a living human being. Um, but other than that, she has no friends. 
Um, she has no her interactions with her family are super distant. Um, I, I think she does have – I mean th- there's an older widowed man with whom she does seem to form some kind of a bond that I think is somewhat meaningful to her. That does happen. But I guess what I'm asking you more, Irene um, – let me, let me get specific about it from this week. So we're talking about sex workers. We're talking about uh, people who, who get paid money to have sex. That's often a comparison that is made not only to lawyers at high-end litigating firms uh, handling patent disputes but to politicians. It was made this week when Paul – Song, Paul Song, excuse me, was uh, introducing Bernie Sanders. We've got the clip right here. Medicare for all will never happen if we continue to elect corporate Democratic whores who are beholden to big pharma. So that's Paul Song introducing Bernie Sanders at a rally in New York. Um, Sanders on uh, the following day had to apologize uh, for that and say, particularly because, I mean, it's very delicate when you use the word whore, when your opponent is a woman. Uh, there's another way in which that tripwire gets, uh, gets kicked. But it's, it's a fundamental question we're asking about all our politicians. Do we have a genuine relationship where you care about me and that's why you want to be my leader? Or are you a whore? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the problem is thinking that you're either one or the other because no one is. No politician, certainly no politician is, you know. And so the idea of, you know, somebody, a politician like Bernie being like completely authentic and, you know, as opposed to Hillary being inauthentic is ridiculous. Right. I think we can agree about that. And so maybe there's 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 a continuum. You know, yeah, of course, you can't do anything without in some way selling yourself or getting paid, you know, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think every politician does is a whore to some extent. See, now you're <laughs> back where I was. Everything's transactional. Everybody yeah. transacts. Tra- right. But at least there's a there's there's looking toward there's looking toward authenticity. You know, is it authenticity? What is it that we really want that's different? It's like I really care about the country. You know, I think also most many politicians really care about the country, too. You know, so I, I think that the, the sort of extreme. Do you of think cynicism, Trump? Do you think Trump? Uh, cares about okay. the country? Uh, every Democratic politician. Okay. <laughs> I, I can't say that. I can't say that. Um, do I think Trump really cares about the country? Um, well, and I'm not saying this because I want to trip think, you up. Yeah, I, I, I mean, that's an interesting question. You know, so maybe in his world, in his world that to me isn't like my reality, it's like his reality, but when he says things like, yeah, we're going to take care of that. You know, we're going to make sure, we're going to make sure that this happens in the country. There's, there's at least a... Sh- a, a I, I, I uh, maybe I don't know. What do I, you think? I'm going to have to take us into a break about this. I'm sorry, but and when we come back, we're going to probably be talking about binge watching. This has been a really interesting conversation. I do think that one of the dreams that's in this series, there are people in this series dreaming of having a real relationship, a real caring relationship with this beautiful woman, one that, which they are never going to get, and it is mirrored slightly in our political system. That's the dream <laughs> that yeah, this, that's that, true. that this guy Donald Trump really cares about me, the average person. That this guy Bernie Sanders really cares about me the average person. That's the dream. We're hoping we can get that back from people who may or may not be very transactional. All right. So we're going to take a break. If you like these kinds of conversations, if you like this show, you'll have about five minutes to show us. I guess I'm about to become transactional, too. If you really loved us, if you really want what we're giving you, you might have to get out your credit card. Uh, So please, when the nice people come on uh, and they ask you, please do make a pledge. Support this programming and this show in particular at this time. We interrupt this pledge break to bring you the rest of the program produced by Jonathan McPants and me, Kion Wolf. 
Our intern is Benjamin Esty and Alexandra Ingber. Greg Hill appeared in the intro and tweets for us at WNPR Colin. The part of Bill Curry was played by Ivanka Trump. For show pages, articles, and guidelines about how many episodes of Here and Now to binge on, go to our website, wnpr.org slash Colin. On Monday's show, Chef's Surprise. And now, back to Colin. So I would have thought there wasn't very much new that you could say about binge-watching. Most of what I want to say about binge-watching is contained in the famous Portlandia episode where they're uh, watching Battlestar Galactica. Uh, and at a certain point, uh, Carrie uh, says that she has a yeast infection or a bladder infection and She'll watch a few more episodes before she gets it treated. So that's kind of how that goes. Uh, but uh, Clive James has a more significant medical problem. He's actually dying. He's got uh, leukemia. Uh, he's beaten it back once, but uh, it, it has returned. So, uh, you know, we're all terminal cases, but he's a little bit more of one. But he's been binge watching, and he has a fabulous essay uh, in the one of the more recent um, uh, issues of The New Yorker. It's actually a chapter from a forthcoming book, Play All, a binge watcher's notebook out from Yale University Press in late August. Uh, and so that exact phrase is here. I'm going to read a little bit of this. Binge watching is a night out, even when you spend the whole day in. It's a way of being. We begin to esteem this way of being at its true worth when we realize that the creators of the brain food that we're wolfing down are at least as involved in it at the level of imagination as we are from Homer until now and onward to wherever the creaking fleet of Battlestar Galactica may go in the future. There never was and there never will be a successful entertainment fueled by pure cynicism. And when we click on play all, and settle back to watch every season of The Wire all over again. We should try to find a moment in the midst of such complete absorption to reflect that the imagined world being revealed to us for our delight really is an outstanding achievement, even though we will always feel that we need an excuse for doing nothing else except to watch it. Um, So, Jacques, uh, I know that you didn't make it to a girlfriend experience, but you say you've been doing a lot of binge-watching lately. What are you getting out of it? What's happening to you? Um, Yeah, I'm currently – I'm almost always – Way behind on shows, and so, and I'm constantly astonished that you, as busy as you are, Colin, actually have time to watch as much TV as you do. So uh, you must stay up all hours. But I, so I'm binge watching The Wire for the first time, and we're into season five now. And there are nights when my husband and I will turn to each other after watching three episodes and be like, "Should we do one more? Should we do one more? Should we do one more?" And I think. Um, uh, the the serial aspect of of the show the continuous plot makes binge watching a delight in and having to go not having to wait a week anymore you know when these shows like orange is a new black get dumped at one time and you can watch all 13 episodes is so much more fun to me than oh i have to wait a week to watch downton abbey it's like the old way of rolling out a TV show seems like a punishment now, <laughs> as opposed to you know the instant gratification and the fact that that you can watch six and a half hours of of uh, the girlfriend experience all in in one sitting, which thanks to Rich I will now not do. <laughs> so, <laughs> but you know, but I uh, you know I I actually this past week binge watched the Batman movies. Um, I went to see Batman versus Superman, and I was like, you know, I really should go back and watch from the beginning the first Tim Burton one, and then watch the terrible Joel Schumacher ones, and then watch the uh, what's his face Nolan, 
Christopher Nolan, yeah. Yeah, boring. Uh, and so, <laughs> you know, it was it was interesting to watch the progression of, of not the character because the character has very little progression over the course of the seven movies, but how these different directors interpreted the character in his world. Well, I want to come back to the aesthetic judgments we make when we do that um, because I think there's some interesting ones. And, in fact, um, James is against his better judgment and against some resistance he has to uh, a culture of this kind. He's described as watching Game of Thrones with his daughter, uh, a series that he has held at arm's length for quite some time. And maybe we can come back to that in just a second. But, Irene, it seems to me the other thing that's going tick, 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 tick in this uh, in, in this essay is, of course, the rest of James's life. And the question, I mean, I mean, life is short. We're all on some kind of clock here. And the question is, how much time do you spend doing things? Uh, if you really love television, you know, I mean, how much time do you spend just in that pit, you know, unable to claw your way out? Because it's just so much more compelling than anything else. And, I mean, he sort of raises it without ever really answering it in any other way besides just watching a lot more television. Well, and and the, the, the answer is in your question, too. And you say it's so much more compelling than anything else. Mm-hmm. You know that it can that it can become that way, and it became that way for him. I think it's kind of interesting. But I was thinking when Jacques was talking about um, how soap operas, you know, like that used to be the continuous the story that had a continuous narrative, and people were sort of you know mocked for that. But at the same time, they felt like you know those characters were that people would say things like those characters are their friends, and you know all that kind of thing. So you could turn, and it was every day. It wasn't once a week like like more highbrow shows. And so this is kind of a descendant of like a sort of highbrow version of people watching soap operas every day and being so obsessed with having to watch them. That's what Downton Abbey was. You know, it oh, was yeah. a it was a beautiful soap opera. So, Rich, I want to talk about the now about the aesthetic thing that he's talking about, because it's interesting reading James on this. I mean, first of all, in I think in watching things on a serial, you know, wait for it, wait for the next installment basis, whatever that's called, (laughs) real time, I don't know. I mean, we're sort of back in the nursery, right, just begging, you know, our mother or somebody to read us one more chapter, and she says, no, no, it's time for bed, you know. And so, and that's how we live a lot of our lives, and it's frustrating because we we, we know, we did beg, please read one more chapter. Uh, And so, I think when we're watching things that way, too, we tend to buy them more, you know? Like, if I'm watching Game of Thrones, near the end of any episode, I'm thinking, oh, please don't let it in. Oh, I hope it's not over yet. I hope, I hope yes. there's five more minutes, and then it's over, and then I think, oh, I have to wait a whole other week. And I don't ask myself a lot of penetrating critical questions. There's things that James brings up in that essay that are probably true and valid that never would have occurred to me to ask, except he's watching this a different way. Yeah, well, I think that... Um we develop different relationships with different shows anyway, yeah. right? Um, so if we take the shows that uh, that actually do wrap up in a week and you watch it the following week with the you know same bat station, same bat channel, uh, same bat time uh, kind of mentality, um, I, I actually have a, a different experience from, from the binge watching. Um, I take it all in and when it's over, there's this fleeting bit of satisfaction and excitement of having seen this thing conclude. And then there's an immediate sort of dread and sadness that I carry with me, recognizing that I'm not going to see these people again for another year Mm -hmm. or so. And um, 
and will I carry them with me for that time? You know, will I go back to them? So it's like and, camp or something. Yeah. You, know, you won't see them again for a while. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's, there's kind of a, a, a real sadness to that. Yeah, I like um, but I've almost forgotten what's happened on Orange is the New Black. It's been so long. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and, but the last time it came out, I mean, I was exhausted and sore <laughs> from, <laughs> from watching this thing. And dirty, too. <laughs> yeah. So you're oh. saying that it's the it's the people like it's yeah, the absolutely. relationship that you have with absolutely. the characters. And, but the thing that that a show like Orange is the New Black, a show like Game of Thrones, um, you know, I'm, I, I made a, a quick list of the stuff that I binge watched. Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean, Mad Men, uh, sorry, Breaking Bad, for example, I didn't just binge watch a season because um, I started mm-hmm. I started watching Breaking Bad when it was completely over. Yeah. So I watched all the seasons in a row. with the wire right now. Yeah. Exactly. And it was, man, what a journey that was, right? So it was uh, Orange is the New Black, Weeds, Breaking Bad, Mad Men, and now, of course, this GF, uh, this Girlfriend Experience piece. The big difference between these and why uh, Girlfriend Experience doesn't hold to the others is the layers of character. Uh, that were that you weave into a really great series. You know, you've got all of these stories and subplots and and investments that you make in in all of this complex universe that's being built for you. That is that you suspend disbelief completely to to get on this ride um, is a, is a marvelous thing. And interestingly enough, because of the density of that. Uh, at the end of it, I feel like I learned something. I feel like I connected something. I feel like there's something I could walk away with. And um, and that's good value. You know, uh, we're going to have to go quick here, Irene, because we're running out of time. Uh, and I want to make sure there's time to endorse. But the other thing that's in James's essay is that notion of watching it with somebody. He's watching it with his daughter. But I think, you know, that's interesting, too. That's something we do a lot, too, as couples as or as parents, is spend 12 hours with somebody having that same immersive experience. And there's something about that, too. It's very different from the solitary experience. I agree. And it's also because you can talk about those characters. You know, you have a relationship with the character, but then you can analyze it with your partner or with the person who's watching with you, with you and it's beautiful. Yeah, I, mean, I know. You just go through watching the first season of Billions. At the end of um, of this season, I turned to uh, the woman I live with, that's her Pequot name, uh, and said, <laughs> um, and said, so of the three principal characters, uh, played by Damien Lewis and Paul Giamatti and whoever it is who plays Paul Giamatti's wife, you know, what's the moral hierarchy? Rank them in terms of their lack of morality or... Uh, and then we, I mean, because you can have that conversation That's with somebody. Exactly. You can have great conversations. All right. We have to do some recommendations and endorsements. Sorry to be racing along here, but we're heading towards another very short pledge break. So, uh, Rich Holland, what have you got to recommend to us? Uh, I'll make it super quick. Uh, I am going to recommend everybody uh, take first, take your kids out to the Connecticut Science Museum, uh, Connecticut Science Center. Uh, they've got. Don't a- go tonight. Yeah, that's not a good idea. It's a Trump rally. That's not a good – don't go anywhere near Hartford tonight. Um, They have a a Da Vinci Machines in the – Machines in Motion exhibit. There are 40 devices that are made. The kids could touch them, play with them, uh, use them as fodder. Um, Great, great, great uh, exhibit going on there. Um, And the uh, Science Center, as the second endorsement here, is also doing a series of adult programming, uh, a different type of adult programming, obviously, than what we were talking about a little while ago. Um, And uh, the next show up, the next um, piece up is Wendell Wallach uh, 
talking about uh, how to keep technology from uh, from slipping beyond our control and ethics piece. Wendell's done, been, done that on our show uh, many times. All right, Jacques, what have you got? Um, since I'm going to be leaving there in a few minutes, um, I'm, I'm going to uh, turn what would be a plug into an endorsement for two things that are coming up at the Mark Twain House and Museum. Uh, first is uh, tomorrow night, Saturday at 6 p.m. They have Larry Kramer, the author of The Normal Heart and uh, his new book, The American People Search for My Heart, a novel. It's a very kind of odd book, but very cool. And Sean Lang from AIDS, uh, Connecticut AIDS is going to be moderating that conversation. Sounds great. And on Wednesday, we are doing our first ever fashion tour of the Twain House with Hartford Fashion Week. It's called Couture Tour, and they've selected 11 local designers to partner with uh, 11 rooms in the house. So you're going to be able to tour the house, and there will be models throughout the house wearing outfits that coordinate with or thematically or, or color-wise or what have you with the house. So it's going to be very cool. All right, Irene, quickly. Uh, quickly. Um, all right, then I'll do um, Tom Hayden wrote an article in The Nation called I Used to Support Bernie, But Then I Changed My Mind that I think is kind of interesting. All right. That's, that's your whole interest? Yeah, it's that in the really nation. Quick. It's easy to find. All right. Quickly, I will endorse Anything Goes at the Good Speed Opera House. Um, interracial cast uh, with uh, Cole Porter's 1930s cruise ship vision. Uh, the role of Reno Sweeney, uh, played by Ethel Merman and Patti LuPone in the past, is played by this amazing young African-American uh, performer named Rashidra Scott. She's worth the price of admissions. But if you like, speaking of Boardwalk Empire, if you like the guy who played Eddie Cantor, he is the comic guy in this. Um, on Stars, uh, go back on Stars. They haven't done a lot of good series, but The Missing on Stars is really good. Uh, it's better than The Family, which is running on network television right now, but has a similar theme about a missing child. But um, go and see, go back and, and check out and binge watch The Missing. And then um, Alone in the Alps by John Laston in The New Yorker. This is about uh, walking the Via Alpina, which covers uh, eight different countries uh, that the Alps stretch across. It's about hiking alone. It's about doing something that I'm probably never going to do, uh, but the kind of thing that I might have dreamed at one point of doing so but it's it's a beautiful piece it has all kinds of different twists and turns just like the paths that go through the alps so thanks very much to uh, rich holland and to jacques lamar and to irene papoulis thanks to uh, jonathan mcpants for working on the show to wolfie for running the board here come those nice people again if you like our show we get a little bit more credit if you donate during our show so think about doing that right now when they ask you to be transactional have a girlfriend experience with us and make a pledge. Pizza delivery. Just slide the pizza under the door, please. But, miss, it's a large double meat, double cheese, double onion pizza with cheesy garlic bread crust. I don't think it'll fit. Just slide it under the door! I am the one who knocks.